Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Excited to be in God's Word. And I was thinking about uh, this week as it relates to our passage, how many of us maybe still print out photos? Anybody here still print out photos? Anybody enjoy actually seeing something, not just on your phone or not just in kind of the, the memory bank of your computer, but literally looking at the, the picture itself? And really, I was noticing that because my daughter, Sienna, my youngest, is really on this kick uh, where she's pulling out all the old photo books. It's fun to kind of look through those and kind of go through all these different milestone moments. And I really think that's the reason we enjoy pictures so much is because why? They, they really capture those milestone moments. Th- those moments that you know after that experience, you're like, life was never the same after that. I don't know what your milestone moments are as you kind of reflect back on your days. Some of those, maybe it's a first time meeting somebody, maybe first time meeting your spouse, since we're getting close to Valentine's Day, maybe that's it. Maybe it's the first time meeting a, a close friend. Maybe it's you're uh, younger than that. Maybe it's first kiss. Maybe it's uh, first day of school. Maybe it's when, you, I don't know, your first time moving into a new house. We all have these milestone moments in our life that we enjoy and it's fun to reflect back on. Well, I would suggest in this story that we're telling of the early church, that we're about to see probably if there's anything across the whole landscape of the church's history, this is probably one of the biggest milestone moments out of anything that's happened thus far in the story, in the account in Acts. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 9, and we're about to see this milestone moment where the greatest opposition to the gospel is about to be transformed and literally transformed into the greatest proponent of the gospel. Where God takes his biggest enemy and says, yeah, I'm going to redirect and make him the biggest cause or push of the cause of Jesus Christ in the early church. So I'm excited. There's actually three different accounts of this in the book of Acts. This is one of them. It's also in chapter 22 and 26. But we're going to focus primarily this morning just on this account of the conversion of Saul to Paul, and it's going to be quite the ride. But my hope is this, in the same way that it was a milestone moment for the church, I would suggest that there's a teaching that's attached to this that has the potential to be a milestone moment in each one of our lives. Let me explain. I was looking back in my Bible that I've jotted notes down over lots of years, and I remember a sermon that I heard in I don't know, it's probably 10 years ago now, maybe 15, that I heard a sermon by James McDonald, and I wrote in my notes right next to this text, I wrote these four words, you see them already in our title, God can reach anyone. God can reach anyone. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that you guys are always going to remember everything that's taught on a Sunday morning, and that you're going to just remember every big point that I bring up, but if there's one that I would love to have seared in our heart and in our memory, literally to the core of who we are, this is one truth that I think would be a milestone embrace that we could have in our life. This simple truth that God can reach anyone. Your eyes have never fallen on somebody 
that's outside of the reach of the gospel. There's no sin too extreme. There's no exterior too tough. There's no pride too great to find someone that's outside of the potential reach of Jesus Christ. And I would suggest that that changes the way, the lens in which we see people, the lens in which we interact with people, because you always, what it does is it brings hope to any relationship. All of a sudden, the, 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 the teacher that used to tease you for being uneducated for your belief in faith in Jesus Christ, for your aunt that's blatantly rejected Jesus her whole life, your golf friend that mocks you for believing in Jesus, your co-worker that changes the subject every time you bring up his name, all of a sudden there's hope for that person. The hope is this, what if this is the day that God breaks through to them? What if this is the day that he shreds all the walls that they've had up for generations, all the, all the uh, pride and arrogance that's gotten in the way. What if, you see, that truth, that simple truth, God can reach anyone, changes the lens in which we see people. And then if you take it to the next step, the next notch would say, hey, and what if he chooses to use me as the spokesman for Jesus Christ that literally breaks through to this unbreakable heart? Let me pray for us before we dive into this this exciting story. God, we thank you for this chance to be together this morning and already a a time to slow down enough in the hecticness of our week to celebrate you through communion and to remember the sacrifice that you made for us. It's an awesome truth. And I thank you for this text that we're about to go into and this amazing story of the greatest opposition to faith becoming the greatest proponent of faith. God, I pray that you would allow this truth to sink into our core this morning, that nobody we've ever met, we've ever crossed paths with, heard about, seen, heard, talked about, has ever been that person that's beyond your reach. I pray that you'd allow that to sink in this morning, that you teach us through this text, that you'd be great, I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So chapter 9, we're starting in this uh, next section, and this is really a, a, a turn in the story and the account of... Uh, the early church, if you haven't been a part of this, basically the book of Acts is exactly that. It's an overview of the big happenings in the early church. We're now in chapter 9 working through that. We're being uh, not introduced, but revisiting the story of Saul. Take a look at what it says in verse 1, and we'll do little sections and chat about them, just starting with these first couple verses. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Stop there just for a moment. I don't know if any of you have ever had this conversation at some point in your life, and it goes a little something like this. Wouldn't it be awesome if fill in the blank, ever got saved. Anybody ever have that conversation? You kind of imagine what that, that person, if they got saved and used their platform for Jesus Christ, what an awesome thing that would be. I remember growing up in Chicago dur- during the Jordan era, and that was a common conversation my friends would have. Man, wouldn't it be awesome if Michael Jordan embraced Christ and then used his platform 
uh, to pronounce him to the world, you know, like he could do such an awesome thing. I don't know what that person, maybe is an athlete, maybe it's a musician. I remember also doing a, in college, going to this outreach event, and we were in, a, in this uh, uh, courtyard area outside of a concert for Marilyn Manson. Anybody ever heard of that musician? Uh, real, real subtle guy, and uh, uh, I, I remember uh, in that conversations we were just like, man, wouldn't it be so cool? Wouldn't it blow everybody's mind if Marilyn Manson, before he like bit off a, a, a bat's head, like decided to like pronounce that he'd embrace Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? I don't, I don't know what person it is in your life that you've played that with, but I'm confident in the city of Jerusalem, it would have been Saul of Tarsus. It would have been Barnon, it would have been Saul of Tarsus. Man, this guy that was the mastermind, the one that was coming up with the, the plot, the plan, the, the execution of persecution of the church throughout Jerusalem had shed fear into so many people's hearts. He would have been that person that you would have said, oh, if he ever became a Christian, man, the influence he could have on the world around him. We pick up, we had actually taken just a little pause. You might remember a Saul from earlier in the, uh, the, the text in Acts where it described him watching the, the murder of Stephen with support and he's holding the coats as everybody's throwing stones at him. It describes him here now as it picks back up with his account. It says that he's gotten even more determined to destroy Christians. Only now, what does it say that he's doing? says that he's going to the high priest, and I find this fascinating, to get permission to chase the Christians outside of Jerusalem. Because remember what happened when the persecution started in Jerusalem? Christians started spreading all over, the, all over the place in the different towns. Now he's wanting to get permission, and listen to this. He's asking for permission from the high priest to go to Damascus. If you know your geography of Israel, Damascus is a city a hundred and fifty miles away. So he's not just content with just staying in the, the area and attacking Christians. He's like, man, I'm taking my show on the road. I'm going to go and I'm going to pursue them as they flee. I'm going to follow. And so he's going to the, the chief priest, which is kind of a, a sad state that that's where things are at, that it's not hard to get the green light to chase down Christians and literally, and finding them in the synagogues, literally willing to pull them out of their places of worship. Imagine that in this room here this morning, having the green light from someone to pull you into prison, take you 150 miles back to Jerusalem. This is the kind of venom and hatred that we see with, with Saul. It says there in the text, it says that he's breathing threats and murder. Literally, Satan had gotten such a grip on him. In fact, later, Paul, when he becomes Paul, describes this of himself in Acts 26, 9 through 11. Take a look at his description of what he was doing during this era. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, listen to this, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues, and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them 
even to foreign cities. This is his confession later on, saying, I was so consumed with this. I was literally endorsing and, and casting my vote towards these Christians being executed in the city. Talk about a person that you would assume there's no way that God could ever reach this man. There's no possible, he, he's beyond God's reach. He's beyond, he, he's gone too far, he's crossed too many lines. There's no way that God could ever bring him back. I've heard in my years of being a pastor, I've heard a lot of people share their different testimonies and kind of their backgrounds, and some have more interesting testimonies than others. Some will tell you the story of, yeah, back in the day when I was in, in, in college and I was sleeping around and I was doing drugs and you thought I was beyond reach like that. You, you hear those stories and you're like, oh man, it's awesome. God brought them back. I've never once heard somebody say, yeah, remember back in high school when I used to kill Christians? Like, 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 like that's never in a testimony that I've heard. Like, uh, maybe you guys have heard that testimony. I, I haven't. Yeah, that just got really dark there for a moment. But you get, you get, you get the idea here. This is a testimony. If there's anybody that's outside of the reach of the gospel, this would have been him, Saul. You would assume there's no way that he's a candidate for converting to following Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? find it interesting in that little description, just in those first two verses, and we'll move on after this. But it says that, that he was going, he's wanting to, permission to go and find anyone belonging to, what does it say? The way. Such a cool new title for Christians at that time, followers of, of the way, not just a way, not just one of the ways, it's the way. You see, they, I, I would suggest that they likely had embraced what Jesus had said in John 14, 6, that what? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They had put all of their stock, all of their hope in that one way to God, and literally had been given that, that title or nickname for those that had embraced that. I love that, and for us, even still today, that we're putting all of our hope, even as Chad was talking about in communion, that's what we've put all of our trust in, that, that one simple way. I love the story we heard this week from uh, Marianne Miller, and she was talking a little bit with Stephanie just about her, her mom, Eileen, that passed away this last month. You might recognize her, just such a sweet woman. One of, one of the things I loved about her, just spending any time with Eileen, is she literally only had one volume, and it was loud. Like, everything she did was definitely uh, with, with exuberance and passion. And, and when, uh, when Marianne was at her care facility after she had passed away, this is the story that she was saying. This is one of the caretakers that Marianne was taking a, a time to go around and just thank people that had blessed her and encouraged her. And the caretaker said, you know, can I take a second and tell you a story uh, about Eileen? And she's like, sure, let's, let's hear the story. She starts telling the story of this interaction. So in the, kind of in the, the, the end there, Eileen's mind started, just starting to, started to go a little bit, started to get a little bit of dementia. And she, the, the caretaker was telling a story about an interaction between Eileen and one of the other patients, they're not patients, but an uh, elderly woman in the facility there. And they were going into this debate where Eileen was explaining that Jesus Christ was her Lord and Savior. 
he was the way what she was trusting in this woman said Jesus is not your savior Jesus isn't a savior at all Eileen's like uh-uh he is the savior he said and I and I jotted down I may I, I'm hoping I got the the words the words right on this but she says he's the way home and I'm going home and if you say he's not then I can't go home and I am going home and I was like that's awesome just to think of this woman that had put her trust in the one way to God the way what we discover here is that literally Saul is trying to oppose that, trying to, to come ag up against that. And even as he had been warned, if you remember earlier in Acts with the Pharisee Gamaliel, when he said, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. It was a warning that he gave to them about opposing this movement of Jesus Christ. And now that's exactly where Saul finds himself in opposition of Almighty God. How well do you think that's going to go? Take a look as the story continues. It says this in verse 3. Now as he went on his way, I find the, the comparison there pretty interesting. He's chasing those who are following the way, going his way. It says he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Pretty intense account there of this story. And the word that jumped out at me upon first glance is that word suddenly. Suddenly. And isn't that how it typically works? You're kind of going along doing your thing, following your way, uh, kind of living out your plan. And suddenly, God breaks through. Suddenly, God makes himself irresistible in your life. Maybe when you reflect on your account of coming to Jesus Christ, there was a suddenly moment. Sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's more over a period of time. Not in this case. This was a, a one instant, and it describes the arrival of Jesus Christ on the scene in this bright light that literally took this proud, arrogant, driven man, and what does it bring him to? His knees. His knees. I find that interesting. Even Scripture promises that at some point, everyone will, whether it's in this lifetime or at the conclusion of this lifetime, at one point, every single knee will bend before God and acknowledge him as Lord. And that was the question mark that Saul asked. And you find it interesting. He's, he's like, who asking him? Uh, he's asking him uh, simply this, this question. He says, who are you, Lord? He's acknowledging that it, it's got to be the Lord because it's not just a, a vision. It's not just a, a thought that came into his mind. It must be someone greater than that acknowledging him at lord but not quite sure the answer to that question i imagine as he this is playing itself out there's just immense fear 
at the answer to that question. But if you think about it, if you were Jesus and you're about to encounter your primary opposition, do you think, what, what words would you have said to him? You, uh, like, I, I probably would have uh, abused my power a little bit. I probably would have been like, uh, bow before me, you're about to die. Like, something like that. But, but look at the, that's why I'm not God. Uh, but thankfully, <laughs> but, but here, what is it, what is, what is, how does Jesus respond? Why are you persecuting Saul? Do you see the tenderness in his response? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why, what, what are you thinking that? Why? The tenderness. But I, I love also that there's t- it's tender but also personal. Think about this for a moment. He's attaching himself to every single one of his followers. The things that Saul was doing to persecute Christians, Jesus is saying, you're doing that to me. You're, you're, you're doing that to me. I love that as a Christ follower to know that there's that level of relationship with Jesus Christ. They say, you mess with me, you're, you're messing with him. That, that, that's the point that he's making. He's making, he's like, why are you persecuting me? Literally, Saul obviously wasn't doing anything to Jesus directly, but anything that's done to his followers of the way was unto him. But instead of the possible terror that this could have brought. Instead, I love the words that Jesus gives to him. He says, instead of imposing consequence, he says, Saul, rise up. Rise up. Stand stand up. I'm not not done with you. I have a plan for you. I'm going to extend mercy when you definitely don't deserve it. I'm going to extend grace. I'm going to not only rescue you, I'm going to give you a purpose and a reason for living. You just need to go obey me, and I'm going to give you the plans moving forward from there. I love this interaction that instead of coming with a thunderous power and rebuke, he's saying, just get up, just get up, head to the city. Uh, you're, you're going to be blind for a couple days, you know, like uh, that, 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 that's going to be a bummer. But talk about a, a, an adjustment to maybe Saul's plans for that day. Did you think that he thought he was going to show up in, look at, look at how this story plays out. Instead of him coming on a proud chariot into the city of Damascus, holding the paperwork, affirming his plan to destroy and pursue Christians, he's showing up, what does it say? being led literally as a blind man. He's not eating, he's, not, he's got scales on his eyes, not exactly the plan, the way he thought his day was going to turn out because we have a God that suddenly can redirect and change everything. That, my friends, is good news. Anybody that you think is beyond his reach can have that suddenly moment in their life where God makes himself irresistible and chases them down, literally pursuing them. It's fun this week. We have um, a gentleman that's worked at the church for quite a few years. His name's Javier. He does a lot of the room setups. Some of you have, have met Javier. He's a real blessing, great guy. He unfortunately, about a month ago, on a family bike ride, ended up falling and breaking his leg, which was a real bummer uh, for him personally, but also a bummer for us trying to figure out how to take care of our campus. And so his brother, uh, Jose, decided to step up to the plate and has been working for the last uh, three or four weeks here at the church. 
And so I was just interacting on, on Thursday. I was getting ready for the, the message for Thursday night and was just talking with Jose and was just asking him. And I, I don't remember how the topic got there, but I, I know I'd been preaching about it. So I asked him, I was like, hey, Jose, tell me your faith story. Kind of what's your, your background with that? And so he starts telling me, and I didn't know anything about like where he was at with God, one, one direction or other. It was so cool. He's saying, listen, I, I, lived, I lived in this, uh, this little apartment with my, my wife, my, my three kids or four kids, something. Uh, and he was telling me, the, he was saying, he's like, my, my life was a mess. Our marriage was terrible. And he was telling me about he, how he's permanently sleeping on the couch. And, uh, and, and so, and, and he's saying, and we were one time, we were walking to the, he said, said walk into the store close by to us. And he said, as we were walking there, we went by this junior high gym that we walked by all the time. We heard coming from inside of that gym the sound of people singing. And he said, there was something inside of me, this voice that just kept saying, Jose, go in there. Jose, go in there. Jose, you need to go in there. And he said, so, Scott, and he's saying all this with broken English. It's so fun. And he, he's like, so, Scott, I, I'm not even going to try it. Uh, but but he's, like, he, he's like, so, Scott, he says, I took my wife, and we went in there. And he said what they were singing. It was a, it was a, it was a, a startup church, and they were in there worshiping. I went in, and I heard them preaching. And he said, you wouldn't believe it. The preacher was preaching in Spanish. I was like, well, that's convenient. And, uh, and, and, and he says, and since then, he said, my life's never been the same. I never went back. He said, now I got a, I, I got a, a, a marriage that's fantastic. He, he, he's saying, he's describing, he says, I call her my gum because she's always stuck to my hip. And uh, like, it's going, he's going, he's like, my, my, my marriage has changed. Everything has changed. It's never, you see, it's not just a God of stories back then of his pursuit of people. I'm sure if we passed around a mic even in this room, there'd be stories of his pursuit present day, how he chases people. He's irresistible in people's lives. People that we would have assumed were beyond his reach. Continuing in the story, we're going to see the, how it plays out. Take a look. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias, I love this, answered God, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done for, to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests, to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, listen to this, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Pretty cool account as this story. Once you think these stories can't get any crazier, think about this interaction. So first off, you see, this is Ananias. It's a new guy, and, and, and we don't really know anything about him other than that he's a Christian that lives in Damascus, the city that he's going to, and other than the fact that he's got a bummer of a name. But that's all we, we really know about Ananias. It's not the same Ananias as Ananias and Sapphira, but this is literally confirmation of what I presented to you guys last week, that God, in his kindness, 
chooses to use us even when we're really not necessary in the story. Let's be real here. This Ananias guy, this was not, when I read this, I'm like, this was not needed. You didn't need to pull Ananias in, but he chose in his kindness to include him in this whole adventure. Similarly, for us that are Christ followers, he doesn't need us to pull off what his plan is, but in his kindness, he pulls us in in these faith-stretching interactions. He pulls him, pulls him in, and I love his initial response. Here I am, Lord. How many times that's the response when God speaks to somebody in Scripture? Abraham, that's what he said. Moses, that's what he said. Samuel, that's what he said. Isaiah, now Ananias gets to be one of the lists. And isn't that the response that we so desperately need to have when God calls us to do something? Wouldn't that be awesome if you're just one of those here I am Lord kind of people? Like God's just like, I know if I, if I go to, to Brian and I ask him to do something, I'm going to get a here I am Lord, send me. I, I'm, I'm ready, willing to go. So I'm preparing this text this week. God always gives me these opportunities to live out what I'm preaching. Don, doesn't it work like that? And, uh, and so on, uh, on Wednesday, I get a text from my uh, good friend, and a uh, friend said to me, hey, my, my sister and her husband are going through a really hard time, really difficult time. Is there, and this is at, at 12 noon. Is there any way you can have lunch with them today? I'm like, it's 12 o'clock. And, and, and so by, by Adrian cleared up her schedule. I, I moved things around. By 12.30, we're at the Calabasas Corner Bakery interacting with this couple. It was amazing. It was a great conversation. There's not some amazing like conversion story or anything like that, but we feel like we were there at the time that God wanted to use us. We were, we, we were there, God got to, we did a lot of listening, to be honest with you, but we were there, we were available. Man, that's the kind of life, and, I, and believe me, I'm not saying, saying this to brag because I blow it a lot, but this is one of those moments, those reminders that God needs people that are just willing to say, here I am, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, whatever adventure you want to take me on this day, I'm available because wherever you're at, I want to be there too. I want to be a part of the adventure of you drawing people to yourself. Ananias can't say that was exactly his account. At first he starts like, here am I, Lord, but then the instructions are given. Imagine those instructions if you're receiving that. That would be being, like being asked back in the day if you wouldn't mind going to Starbucks and grabbing a, a coffee with Bin Laden. You know what I mean? Like that was like completely unheard of. Like you're, you'd get that instruction to be like, uh-uh, I'm not going. And I love this interaction that Ananias has with God. He starts explaining to him, God, you, you probably missed some of the details about this Saul guy. You probably missed the fact that, and he starts telling him about the authority that he has. I'm, I'm confident that this was one of those look back, this is like one of those Tommy Boy moments. You look back and you'll be like, I'm such an idiot. You know, like I was there telling God about Saul, who he created and designed from the very beginning. The one that God's literally sustaining his life, putting oxygen in his lungs, and you're going to tell God about him. That's what he chooses to do, but I love that God's kind about it. He's, he's like, all right, all right, Ananias. He's like, he, he's like, he confirms to him. What does he say to him? 
He says, you, you might think that about him. You might be aware that he has these letters to pursue Christians. But guess what? Guess what? Look at the description he says. He explains to him that he's his chosen instrument. His chosen instrument. Doesn't matter this guy's background, his, his game plan, his, his direction he is heading. When God chooses for someone to come to himself, forget about it. There, there's, there's nothing in the world that can stop him from becoming irresistible in that person's life, and he does that. He pursues him and does make him his chosen instrument. So begrudgingly, begrudgingly, he chooses to go along in God's kindness. God's like, all right, I'm going to include this guy in this adventure. He shows up. Take a look how this plays out. Verse 17. We'll end with this. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. It's funny when you read scripture, a lot of times you... You, you have that account, and you, you, you don't necessarily bring to your, your mind what that interaction must have been like. I was thinking about that even as I was studying this week. What would that have been like for Ananias to walk into this room and see his mortal enemy, the one he'd been avoiding for so long, sitting there, probably staring off into the distance with it, literally scales on his eyes. Can you imagine as he's going over there, he's putting his hands on his shoulders, and he's like, Brother Saul, you know what I mean? Like, 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 talk about not feeling it, but doing it anyway. Like, Brother, Brother Saul, like, Brother affirming that we're buddies, Saul. God told, God sent me to bring you the two S's, your sight back and the Holy Spirit. And, and so he's coming, he's like, I'm coming bearing gifts. I come in peace. And literally, in God's kindness, he's like, all right, you've, you've done your part, Ananias. Now I'll step in. I'll fill the gap. Literally shows up, takes after three days. Any, any, uh, any symbolism there with his blindness for three days? Anybody see that? Maybe a little bit of symbolism, blind for three days, given sight. So literally scales fall off. What does it say? He gets up, not in a rage to try to take out Ananias and all the people around him now that he has his sight back. Instead, what does it say he does? He gets baptized. He says, man, I am, I am in. This, he, he had three days to reflect on this experience, and there is no turning back now for Saul. This is the beginning of the most committed Christ follower that you can probably find an account of in Scripture. And in God's kindness, he allowed Ananias to be a part of this adventure. Can you imagine Ananias later on when he's receiving these letters from Paul to the churches, and he's reading these, he's like, yeah, I was there. I, I baptized him, you know, I trusted, I, I knew God was up to something, you know, I, I stepped out in faith, you know, I got, him, I got him his first meal after those three days, you know, like, he had bragging rights, it was like leading Billy Graham to Christ, you know what I mean, like, he had bragging rights from that day forward, because in God's kindness, he chooses to use us, here's the lesson from that, big risk means big reward. You never know when you step out in faith, 
when you put God to the test, not in a bad way, when you stretch yourself and say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to this person. I don't know how it's going to go because they seem so far off. God's like, awesome. Now I can take it from here. And the thing that Ananias walked away from that experience with was the same thing that I would hope and pray we walk away from this morning with that simple truth that we started with, that simple four words that would stick into our brain. God can reach anyone. Your eyes have never fallen on somebody outside of his reach. You've never heard of somebody. There's nobody that's too proud. There's nobody that's too stubborn. There's nobody outside of, a, a, of his reach. And that's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us compelled because God doesn't play by the same rules that we do. He doesn't have the same parameter. If he chooses to pursue somebody, and to me, I was like, man, that's where, where prayer comes into it. The person that you're like, man, I... I don't know, they seem so far off, and you're like, man, that's where I need to just get on my knees, appealing to God that they would have that Saul experience that God makes himself irresistible in their life. It brings hope to anyone that you know in your circle of influence. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, I thank you so much for this story and this account, and man, what a faith builder for Ananias. So fun to watch that how God chose to use him even though he wasn't necessary in the story. God, in his kindness, chooses to use us in the story still today. God, I pray that we wouldn't settle for the mundane, for the ordinary, for the nine to five, that we would cho choose to join you in this adventure of seeing lives changed, eternities redirected. I thank you for the awesome reality that you're at work there's nobody that's outside of your reach may that simple truth sink into our very core even this morning pray this in jesus christ's name amen what a message of hope i would suggest that saul's theme song there after the service at the end of the service it's our theme song too it's the hope that we live by no one's beyond god's reach amen have a great sunday